Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geeks podcast. I'm Sergeant Jack Anderson, and I'm here tonight with Sergeant Aiden Paul. How's it going? And Sergeant Madeline McConnell. Hello, everyone. And as always, we are going to be your hosts. Now, this week, we have a very special guest. Now, it is uh, Father's Day, so uh, we have my dad in to talk about his experiences as being an airline pilot. Hello, everybody. So he has been a pilot for 34 years, during which time he has flown for Airco, Buffalo Airways, Jazz, and he's currently with Air Canada. Some of the aircraft that he has flown include the DC-3, the Beach Traveler, the Seneca, the King Air, the Dash 8, the Bombardier RJ series, the Embraer 175 and 90, um, the Boeing 767, and he's currently on the Boeing 777. In addition to that, he was an avionics technician for Word Air and Canadian Airlines for six years before becoming a pilot. So uh, thank you for joining us tonight, sir. It's nice to have you on the podcast. And happy Father's Day to me. <laughs> yes, sir. Happy Father's Day. Absolutely. All right. So uh, we have 10 questions here all about um, what it's like being an airline pilot. And we're really hoping that we can get an insight into this massive uh, portion of the aircraft industry because... Uh, before we've talked to uh, fighter pilots, we've talked to veterans, uh, helicopter pilots, and even my brother, who is um, uh, who is a flight student. So this is actually the first time we're talking to a commercial pilot. So it's going to be um, very good to see that part of the industry. So uh, first and foremost, what started your interest in aviation? I think what started with me is... Um my family, so my parents, and I have a younger sister, we seem to go on a trip every year and travel. So I enjoyed the traveling to different destinations. I also enjoyed the plane rides. I remember as a young child, my dad used to take us out to the airport to watch the airplanes take off and land. And I think that's really what got me interested. Um, a lot of times when we were traveling, we got to go visit the flight deck uh, meet the pilots and just really enjoyed that, that those experiences traveling to different parts of the world. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. So our next question here, what was the path that you took to become an airline pilot? Okay. Well, um, my uh, college um, experience was in the avionics or electro aircraft electronics and I started in that field. I did know that I wanted to fly at the time. It was quite expensive at the time to uh, train. So I got into the aviation industry as a avionics technician. And what I did is I found a flying club uh, near where I was living, went up for a familiarization flight. And um, what I did is I, I really ensured that that's what I really liked. And I continued on taking lessons and went to a night school for the ground school portions of it and on my days off I um, did the flying once I got completed had all my ratings I had a commercial license at a multi uh, IFR even had an instructor rating at one point and then um, started to look for work unfortunately when I was looking for work it was in the early 90s and there was a mini depression um kind of economic downturn going on. So there weren't a lot of jobs available. Took me about a year to find one. And I ended up uh, becoming a bush pilot up in the Arctic, living out of Yellowknife. 
a few years there. And then I spent um, two and a half years in Edmonton, Alberta, doing um, corporate charter work, which led to um, Jazz Airlines, which was um, our feeder for Air Canada. So I flew um, Dash 8s and the uh, Bombardier CRJ series aircraft for them all across Canada, um, sometimes down into the United States. And after that, um, we got offered a position with Air Canada and started flying for Air Canada. And I've been there for just over uh, 17 years now. Um, so for the next question, um, what are some challenges that you faced while trying to become an airline pilot? Well, the first one is expenses. It was um, basically everything I had at the end of the month um, from working went into flying. Flying lessons were not cheap. They're not even, they've gone up in price since I've done them. So that was a big challenge was the expense and it took time and I had to be very dedicated with my money to save up the money to buy the flying lessons, uh, go to the night school, such. Um, my parents felt I had a really good career already as a technician with the airlines and um, thought, you know, leaving that position to go on to another position maybe wasn't the wisest uh, thing to do. So that was a challenge to go through. Um, economic downturns, um, seems like the flying industry has cycles. And um, I just happened to come out with my ratings and looking for work on a downturn or a economic downturn. So that was a challenge finding that first job um, back then because there were a lot of pilots looking for work. Um, with that, they could ask for a lot of experience or hours. Um, so that's a challenge. And the distance, you know, there wasn't anything uh, available in Southern Ontario. So I had to travel and move to a different uh, location, which happened to be into the Arctic to find that first flying job. So those were a bunch of the challenges I personally faced um, through my career so far. All right, thank you, sir. Um, so yeah, as you just said, you had to go up to the Arctic for a few years. So what was it like flying up north for uh, Buffalo Airways? Buffalo Airways was um, an interesting job. I had nothing to compare it to because it was my first flying job. The DC-3 has been around since uh, World War II, 1939, they started to produce them. To fly that airplane is incredible just because there's not very many of them left. So that was fun. We flew a lot of different things, uh, uh, groceries up the Mackenzie Valley. We flew in drill equipment, um, camp uh, supplies. Um, we flew um, the diamond mines were just starting up north of Diavik mines, north of Yellowknife. We flew in fuel and all their supplies to start the mine. Um, I even have a couple hundred hours on skis on a DC-3, which is very very rare nowadays to find someone with that kind of experience. The nice thing about the DC-3 is very forgivable, has a huge wing, um, very easy to uh, fly because of the low speed, because of the big wing. Um, winter, definitely a challenge in the Arctic because it gets really cold up there, um, minus 35 for weeks on end. Not a lot of snow, but also the challenge was the darkness 
we'd have um, almost six months of darkness up up in Yellowknife, um, and then we'd have a couple months of dusk. Um, on the reverse of that is during the summer, we'd have 24 hours of daylight. So sleeping was a challenge up there. So some different challenges. We The fun thing is, is fishing was very good up there. We had a good social life up there. Um, yeah, those are some of the fun things we did up, up there. Well, yeah, it certainly sounds like a really unique experience. And I think uh, some of us have seen the uh, show Ice Pilots. So I think that sort of gives us um, like a look inside what that would have been like. Yeah, they're very similar to what we did um, with all the different. If we could fit it in the door of our DC-3, we flew it somewhere. Yeah, well, that certainly would have been something cool to do back in the day. Oh, yeah, definitely. It certainly sucks. It certainly sucks that there are like almost no DC-3s like flying today. Yeah, there's, um, you know, you mostly see them as museum pieces or um, historical uh, groups restore them and stuff, but he still flies them as they're meant to be onto gravel strips in remote places in the Arctic. And um, he keeps them flying. I, um, at the time when I was up there, he had upwards of 10, 11 DC-3s working every day just to do all the work that we were doing with the mines, the grocery runs up the Mackenzie Valley, different uh, groups. We even had a scheduled run between Hay River and Yellowknife. So he was doing a scheduled passenger service, which he still does today um, between those two cities. Now, oh, there we go. So next up here, what does a typical work day look like for an airline pilot? Well, well, there's never, ever a typical day. It One of the nice things or maybe not so nice things is our day continually changes because it's either weather changes, um, restraints on you change. But for typical flights, I do mostly overseas now with the uh, Boeing 777, is normally about an hour 15, an hour and a half before the scheduled departure time. We will go to a briefing room in the airport. We'll get a flight plan. We will um, check our mailboxes, stuff like that, and um, check in with the other pilots. We review the flight plan, which includes our um, aircraft, if there's any um, maintenance items on. Shows us the amount of fuel, our routing, um, weather, and any um, notice to airmen, which we call NOTAMs, to see um, what the airport or different route you know, structures are, are changed. We brief that, and um, that's usually prepared for us by uh, a dispatcher. And we'll usually, what we'll do is we'll phone him. We um, review it with him. He'll um, update us on any um, turbulence reports or significant weather reports that we should be aware of on our route any changes at our destination or any changes you know to a gate that we're leaving from then usually we'll go through security walk down to the aircraft if the aircraft needs a walk around we do it we normally try to be on the airplane no later than 45 minutes prior to departure so that we can um, brief our flight attendants our in-flight crew um, usually maintenance may or may not meet us and we'll get a briefing from then if, if, if there's anything wrong with the aircraft and then we will um, 
do our pre-flight and includes uh, checking all the instruments, plugging in the routing and performance numbers in the computer. Um, the fueler comes up, checks with us, we're ready to go. Once all that's done, the people are on board, we'll close up and usually uh, taxi out. We go to our destination. And then once we reach our destination, obviously with the reverse, we taxi in, get to the gate. We shut down the aircraft and usually about 15, 20 minutes after we've set the park brake, most of the passengers are on, on their way, they're offloaded. And um, then we go off to our uh, hotel. Um, sometimes we'll, uh, that's overseas. Sometimes we'll just do what we call turns where we go to a shorter destination. Um, for instance, Toronto to Vancouver or Calgary, spend an hour and a half there, turn the airplane around and we come right back. Normally our days are between uh, overseas flying can be anywhere from six to 12 hour days. Um, a lot of it's in, in the cruise position. So um, but never, never the same day twice. There's always different things that come up, which I think that's why it makes it a very interesting job because um, you're not always um, seeing the same thing every day. Okay. Um, yeah, I completely get that. I mean, every day is definitely different. Um, I know from my own dad's experiences, every time he talks about his day, um, it's always something different, which I also agree. I think it makes the job very interesting, very different from other jobs. So the next question we have for you are, um, what are some of the differences between flying narrow body and wide body? Since I know that you have flown both, and I'm just going to add one more thing onto that. Uh, which one do you like more? Mm. Uh, narrow body, let's start with narrow body. Narrow body usually is a smaller aircraft. Um, I think one of the bigger narrow bodies is a 757. Typically, narrow bodies, they use them on domestic flights or transborder flights, even uh, down to the Caribbean. They are just um, smaller airplanes, so they have a little less range. So they typically don't go too far. We do have some 737s that do do some overseas, the A3. 21 Neo is coming. They will do some overseas, but usually it's off the east coast of Canada to the west coast of Europe. They, you know, a six six hour range, seven hour range. They don't much do much more than that. The and they'll have one aisle down the middle with two to three seats on either side of that narrow aisle. Now a wide body is usually a two aisle airplane. Um, it's a bigger airplane, so obviously we can carry more people, more fuel, and we have a longer range and distance to go. Um, our 777, we pretty well go everywhere in the world right now with it. Um, the pandemic has made things a little different, but um, we'll do South Pacific. We do Asia, Europe. They were doing the Middle East, um, South America. And um, we've, I've even done wide body flights to North Africa. In this stage of my career, I really enjoy the wide body flying. I like the bigger airplane. I also like the overseas uh, flying. I really enjoy the destinations. And typically we get a 24, a minimum 24 hour layover. So you get to do a little bit of sightseeing or going out to your favorite restaurant in the different hotels, uh, different areas around the hotel. 
So I'd say right now my the wide body is my kind of favorite and kind of where I'll probably be in some form or another till the end of my career, it'll be on a wide body. Yeah, for sure. Um, so our next question here is, um, like you said, you started flying back in the uh, 1990s or like that's when you got your pilot's license. So how has the aviation industry changed since that time? Well, uh, aviation uh, for pilots and usually pilots, it cycles, you know, there's highs and lows. Um, when I came out in the early 90s, there was an economic downturn, um, quite a bit of a shortage of, of flying jobs at the time. So because of the surplus of pilots, they could ask for a lot of experience. Um, to give an example, uh, to get into the regional carriers to fly the Dash 8 in the late uh, 90s, they were asking and were getting experience levels of you needed 5,000 hours heavy time. They wanted um, command time, turbine engine time or jet time. And um, just prior to the pandemic, if you had anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500 hours, they were accepting you at Air Canada. Um, and not necessarily, you didn't have to have any jet time. You could have had turboprop time. So there's quite a, a difference in the experience level that way. And it just, it's just whatever the industry demands. And if they can get high experienced pilots, they'll try. But as those pilots get jobs and they still need more pilots, the, the amount of hours or experience level gets lower and lower. Safety is really never compromised because they're trained the same way and expected to meet the same proficiency no matter how many hours you have because they never lower that standard because of safety. It's just um, sometimes it's good to be a pilot. And, um, you know, nowadays, um, now that we're coming out of the pandemic, there's a very, very high demand for flight crew right now. We're very short, not only in, the, in Canada, and at our airline, but in the United States is a very big air, uh, pilot shortage. And if someone's interested in getting into this career, boy, now's the time to be looking into it because there's a lot of jobs available right now. All right, thank you, sir. Yep. So next up, here we got a bit, bit more lighthearted question. So what are some crazy and or funny stories that you have had happened to you during your career? Wow, that is a loaded question. I've had a lot of interesting, interesting stuff. Um, I'm trying to think on the DC-3, all those things we would carry, snowmobiles, um, food. We've had dog sled teams on there. I've flown singers around the Arctic. Um, trying to think some of the NHL hockey teams I've had to fly around on the dash eight. I've met, um, movie stars, uh, flying down to Los Angeles or New York or from Vancouver, um, um, celebrities, uh, pro athletes, uh, professional singers, um, so those are kind of some of the nice, neat people I've met. Some of the 
the sights that you see, you just, I have such an incredible view. Um, like just a couple of weeks ago, I flew into Paris and flying down low, flying into Paris and the iconic Eiffel Tower is there. Um, flying over Venice and seeing, you know, the canal and everything. Uh, London, England, flying into there, you see, you know, Buckingham Palace, London Bridge, um, into Hong Kong. Um, I think that's one of the neatest things about my job and experiences is all the views from our, our flight deck. We get the best views of any job in the world, and it always changes. Um, Northern Lights, seeing those. Um, I remember seeing for the first time up in the Arctic muskox. I'd never seen them before, and flying over the Arctic and seeing them was quite an experience. Um, so those are kind of some of the neat uh, things I've seen or experienced in my career. Thank you. Um, so the next question that we have for you, um, also, you know, really opinionated, what are your, um, what are some of the favorite places that you have gotten applied to? Hmm. I think this, the exciting thing about going to uh, different places is the first time you always go there. But um, I guess the special ones for me is when I actually get to bring my family. So um, I have two sons. And the first older son who is in flight school now got to experience a lot of the U.S. Um, cities with me. And that was great getting to show them around. I really love Seattle in the U.S. Um, Washington, D.C. I really enjoy Boston. Um, I enjoyed L.A., Los Angeles. Uh, overseas, um, obviously, Flying into Honolulu with the family was really fun. We had uh, a couple of days there to tour Honolulu. Um, one of the last trips that we did before the pandemic was to Prague in the Czech Republic. I really enjoyed it there. It's a great city to walk around. Um, London, I really enjoy because I'm never, ever wondering what I'm... I always pick something new to go see. It's a big city, really busy, lots to do. Um, New York is really nice to see at night. I'm trying to think some of the other really uh, places. Um, some of the places in South, like I've been down to Chile, like Santiago in uh, South America, flying over the Andes was a really neat experience into Buenos Aires. But um, yeah, lately, you know, the Czech Republic was special because I had my family with me and I really enjoy that as a walking city. Um, I do enjoy Paris. Um, we have family there. And it's just that iconic city and easy to walk around and cafes and easy going. Um, yeah, those are some of the ones that stand out for me. I like Lisbon in Portugal as well. Very, a really friendly, great city to go to in the summer. Yeah, thank you, sir. Sounds like you've uh, really gone to travel to a lot of places uh, with your job as an airline pilot. Yeah. It's been uh, amazing, the places I've seen. All right, so uh, our final question here is one that we ask to all of our guests. And it is, if you could fly any plane in the world, what would it be and why? Well, I'm very particular to some of those older aircraft because um, that's what I started on with the uh, radial engines. 
to me, the F4 Corsair with the gull wings, if I ever got an opportunity to go for a ride in one of those, I would just, that would be the icing or the cherry on top of the, the cake or the, the icing on the cake, if you could say. I really enjoy the look of it. I love the sound of the round engines. I really enjoy those. Um, one airplane I wish I would have been able to experience was a Concorde, which was no longer around just because of the sheer speed that it can go across the Atlantic, um, where it takes me uh, three or four hours just to go from one coast to one coast. It can go from New York to London in an hour and a half. Um, just at the sheer speed. So that was one airplane I, I wish I would have um, been able to uh, try out. But the Corsair, that would be one airplane if I ever got a chance to, uh, to, to, to share a flight in or fly myself would be great. I remember as a kid watching the TV show uh, Baba Black Sheep and those Corsairs in the South Pacific. And that's just stuck in my head. And I just, like I said, the sound of the radial engines it's just a unique um, sound that the, you know, the turbine and the jet engines don't sound like that. So that, that's the one I would really love to, to try one day. I know there's a few places in the world that have them, but um, some of them are privately owned, but you never know. It, it may happen one day. It may not. It, even like a, like a P-51 Mustang, something like that would be an, a would be a really cool opportunity to try. All right, well, thank you, sir. Uh, now, looking at my watch, it looks like it is just about uh, time to end. So we want to thank you again for uh, being on the show tonight. Well, thank you for having me, guys. I, I do follow your podcast uh, semi-regularly. I can't say I've listened to you every week, but semi-regularly I listen to it. And I love the ideas and the... Uh, the work you're doing on it, it's uh it's a really good podcast thank you for doing it yeah thank you sir um so just one last thing to say before we go um is that in addition to my dad being a pilot uh sergeant mccall's dad is also a pilot so we're hoping to have him on the show in the next few weeks unfortunately it's really hard to work around a pilot schedule as um i think my dad can attest to there it's usually really weird hours and uh, a lot of shift work um, but hopefully we will be having him uh, sometime in the future, hopefully in the next few weeks. But that is just about our time for tonight. So we once again would like to thank you for listening to the Ave Geeks podcast. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Goodbye, everyone.